I'm Father John Tveit, the editor of The Josias, and this is The Josias Podcast, a conversation today about a Catholic approach to creation and environmentalism. This is the first podcast which I am hosting since taking the reins as editor of The Josias. I'm joined this evening by Amanda, who has been a guest, I think, twice on the podcast in the past and will uh, will be my co-host. Thanks, Amanda. And uh, our former editor and host, Urban Hannon, has has entered the European Seminary of the Fraternity of St. Peter in Vigratzbad, Germany. And so we wish him well and send our uh, prayers along with him. So welcome to all of our listeners. Welcome to our benefactors on Patreon. And welcome to our guest today. Our guest today is Gideon Lazar. Gideon has written for us before at the Josiahs on ecology and on the theology of creation. He is the Institute Coordinator of the St. Basil Institute for the Theology of Creation and an MA student in theology at St. Cyril and Methodius Byzantine Catholic Seminary. He blogs at creationtheologyfellowship.org and you can find him as the Byzantine Scotist on YouTube and on the website formerly known as Twitter. I'd like to begin with a, a prayer for our conversation, a prayer as well for our for the work at the Josias. And uh, we remember, especially at this time, uh, the intentions of peace in, in the Holy Land and terrible uh, conflict going on there and any other uh, intentions we may have. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just a few days ago, as of this recording anyway, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, released a new apostolic exhortation called Laudate Deum. In a certain sense, this document is a sequel to his 2015 encyclical on the environment, Laudato Si. And this new document is the latest addition to the Papal Magisterium on Social Issues. Here, in this new document, the Holy Father is especially concerned with climate change and with the fact that the, the warnings of Laudato Si seem to have gone unheeded. One of the issues that always comes up when we have a new document like this, no matter who the Pope is, it happens with Francis, but it happened with Benedict as well, and with all modern Popes, is that at least here in the U.S., Catholics tend to read such a document through the lens of uh, American politics, rather than taking its arguments on their own merits and being informed by its teaching. Many can't help but criticize the document based on their own uh, preconceptions. This was true in the time of uh, Pope St. John XXIII. Bill Buckley's National Review famously wrote about John's social encyclical Mater et Magistra, that the church is mater si, but magistra no. In other words, that the church is our mother, but not our teacher, which of course is crazy. But we see that this can sometimes be the kind of knee-jerk reaction or the approach that many around us here in the uh, American Catholic mundus have when, when we approach certain 
social teachings of the church. So we've certainly seen some criticism of this newest social document and and perhaps even more than criticism, we've seen indifference on the part of, of many Catholics. So is, is this when, um, with respect to this new document, Laudate Deum, is it just another case of this mentality of mater si, magistra no, or is there more to say about it? Well, before we try to answer that question about uh, Laudate Deum and, and about the Catholic approach to creation, more broadly speaking, maybe it's uh, a good thing for us to remind ourselves of what Pope Francis had to say in the first document, the encyclical Laudato Si, back in 2015. So uh, maybe Amanda, could you speak a little bit about that, about uh, Laudato Si, remind us what eight years later about what that document was about? Sure. Thank you, Father. And I will confess that I did not read Laudato Si in 2015, um, and I only read it recently when we discussed doing this topic for the podcast. And I thought about why why that was, because it is a document you hear so much about. And I think it, it often does get written off as, well, this is the environmental encyclical, this is the climate change thing, and you know, no one wants to hear more about it. It's just the same old, same old. And I think that when I sat down to actually read the encyclical, I realized this is so much more than that. Um, it's really a condemnation of modernity, of the technological paradigm that reduces human beings to, you know, basically cogs in the machine, another sort of piece in the factory that is, you know, destroying our common home. And, you know, what I love about Laudato Si is, you know, Pope Francis begins with this beautiful discussion of St. Francis of Assisi talking about living an integral ecology joyfully and authentically and joy for i think is what is really missing in a lot of environmental discourse there's just so much blame on either side and laudato si really tries to to center that like walk with francis through creation and you know as as pope francis talks about saint francis of assisi just as happens when we fall in love with someone Whenever he would gaze at the sun, the moon, or the smallest of animals, he burst into song, drawing all the other creatures into his praise. He communed with all creation, even preaching to the flowers, inviting them to praise the Lord, just as if they were endowed with reason. And that, you know, to me, is so much more effective at getting someone to really think about creation and our place in it than sort of citing statistics and sort of the usual tack that we hear in politics of why you should care about the environment. And, you know, I think that Laudato Si is so much broader than, you know, pollution, air quality, water quality, which, you know, there are compelling and beautiful cases to be made why we should care about that. But I just wanted to sell Laudato Si as more than what you might think with a knee-jerk reaction, as Father said, um, he also specifically talks about the relationship between a good aesthetic education and maintenance of a healthy environment, which I thought is particularly important. Um, you know, he says, by learning to see and appreciate beauty, we learn to reject self-interested pragmatism. And I thought that's extremely powerful to sort of center ourselves in this broader uh, way of thinking about our environment and our place in it to sort of, sh you know, filter out the talking points and, you know, the social media, formerly known as Twitter, tweets about, you know, the environment. Um, so that is a couple 
points about Laudato Si, and I think Gideon has more and pr- probably more theologically profound things to say about it. Yeah, thank you uh, to uh, Father Trevate for v- inviting me on. I've been a longtime listener of this podcast, and so it's great to get to talk with you guys. Um, in terms of Laudato Si, you know, I as well sort of ignored it for quite a while. In 2015, I was not yet a Catholic. But once I came into the Catholic Church, I got very interested in social teaching, especially through the work of the Josias. But for some reason, I just never read Laudato Si. I think it's in many ways one of the most ignored recent encyclicals. And then I was hired on to work at the St. Basil Institute about a little over a year ago. And so for the last year and a half or so, my main research has been around the theology of creation. So I thought this is the most recent encyclical on the theology of creation, so I should read it, thinking it's probably just going to be sort of general environmentalist platitudes, but it's not at all. It actually provides a very rich theology of creation. And I definitely agree with what Amanda said there about this is in many ways a critique of modernity. Others a point in the encyclical where he's discussing the creation stories in Genesis and the deep truths they have to teach us about ecology. And one of the important principles there is actually the hierarchy of being and the importance of relationship, that God created us within a certain place in this hierarchy in the universe. And so we have proper relations with our neighbor, with the creation, and with God. And then when we have sin, this destroys the proper harmony of original justice that exists at all these different levels. And he shows from scripture how we see not only the destruction of our relationship with our neighbor and with God, but also with the creation itself. And so I think we're seeing here a proper bringing together of an Aristotelian and Platonic philosophy of nature with the truths of scripture, as you see in scholasticism. And there's a great point in that then, where he sort of looks at, I think, probably heavily American evangelicals, and maybe Catholics as well to a large extent, who've sort of used the fact that man has been given dominion in Genesis to justify capitalism and infinite exploitation of the environment. And he says that this is a misreading of scripture. And I think he's pinpointing here exactly that this is the sort of readings you get out of the Enlightenment, such as by John Locke. And it's not actually how Catholics traditionally understood the stories in Genesis. So I think he's calling us back to actually a much more traditional theology of creation than is frequently spoken of today. And one last point I wanted to bring out here, because I think it's so important for the work of the Josias, is the discussion of the common good. He discusses the environment as a common good, because the environment is something that we all participate in, and we all share in, and by more of us sharing in it, It doesn't lessen the environment at all. And so I think this is actually a chance for us to view the common good, not just in its political terms, but in its more cosmic terms of a universal common good for everything that God has created, ultimately oriented back to uh, God as both its source and um, purpose. Yeah, that's that's great. I just wanted to pick up on the one point there that um, I think is so important that especially in our American context, that many sort of quote-unquote conservative Christians, be they Catholic or, or Protestants or evangelicals, uh, they they tend to, to fall into this, just what, what Gideon was mentioning, this uh, misinterpretation of our dominion over creation. 
that really properly understood as as Francis and uh, the tradition has it is we have stewardship over creation. God is the only master of creation. We're not uh, we're not to um, use it in any way we see fit. We have to to utilize nature according to the the laws of nature, according to the natural law. And so, yeah, I think you're right to to point out that this is a particularly modern problem. With uh, Locke, I think you pointed out Francis Bacon's kind of domination of of nature as being at the heart of, of modern science. Unfortunately, that is something we've taken into our mentality, even as Christians. And I think also Pope Francis makes it clear that to say this is not to imply a divinization of the earth. It doesn't say that human beings are not, you know, unique. And uh, as, you know, people on the other side of the ideological spectrum would say, and that this is not to say that, you know, we need to adopt what the left would have, you know, reproductive health policies and have fewer children and that human beings are, you know, everything human beings do in the world is bad and and the world would be better off if there were no human beings. He makes it very clear of, you know, the beauty of humanity and their unique place within creation properly ordered of the encyclical that often isn't talked about at all, really, by critics of it. Um, there's a passage that I want to look at here. It's on paragraph 91, where he says, It is clearly inconsistent to combat trafficking in endangered species while remaining completely indifferent to human trafficking, unconcerned about the poor, or undertaking to destroy another human being deemed unwanted. I think we see here, he actually in many ways is targeting a left-wing approach to environmentalism that says essentially adopts the same approach that the American right does, that humans and the environment are opposed to one another, and rather than just favoring humans like you see on much of the right, it instead favors the environment. And I think this is where really it's only a Catholic approach that can solve this, where we can see that because both humans and the rest of creation are created by the same God, there is a proper harmony between them, and the two are not in competition with one another. Yeah, that's that's great. And Pope Benedict had made that point very beautifully as well in um, in his encyclical Caritas and Veritate, that what we need is a truly human ecology, which is caring for a creation, of course, but we're part of that creation. Uh, it's one grand order into which we in which we find ourselves. We have our place, the world around us has its place, and we have to respect the, the various places. And he makes a point that, uh, you know, unfortunately, as you say, many people who might be called environmentalists today, they, they want to protect the environment at the expense of ourselves. But, uh, but Pope Benedict makes the point that if we truly respect this kind of human ecology, if we respect our own nature, it's going to help us to better respect creation and vice versa. So we find ourselves as as a part of this creation God has put us in, um, and so a truly a truly Catholic approach to the environment has to see us as uh, part of this order that God has has put us in, and of course God uses the order of creation to draw us to Him. It's one of the first ways in which we uh, we begin to find Him is is through His footprints, through the vestiges that He has left of Himself in creation. And, as we study creation, and it moves on to um, to our, our contemplation of Him, so that ultimately, uh, if we're truly studying science in the proper way, it, it ought to leave us, lead us to 
philosophy and then theology. But of course, um, that's going to be stopped at the beginning if if we're viewing science in the wrong way. So, so what about um, this new document, Laudate Deum? Uh, in some ways, it's it was meant to be a kind of sequel to Laudato Si, although it's in a very different mode and it's um, much, much shorter. It's a much different tone than Laudato Si. Uh, but Pope Francis does make some of the same points in this in this new document, um, although he doesn't go into as much detail, unfortunately, because of the the, the brevity of the document. Um, but he speaks about technocratic paradigm again, and what what I like about this document is that he picks up on some of what we've already mentioned from Laudato Si that that Pope Francis goes after in a way the typical environmentalism um, both because they misunderstand the cause of the environmental crisis and they and therefore they they misunderstand the um, the solution so right away early in the document he goes after any kind of environmentalism that would um, would seek to lay the blame on the third world he seems to be implying, especially those who have lots of children. So he says, often women are mutilated because of a sort of mistake, misguided approach to saving the environment. I think he's speaking especially about having children. So obviously, the the people who would who would say that we need to uh, limit children we're having, or um, that's that's not going to be the the Catholic approach. But he also he seems to say that there's a misunderstanding of the cause of this crisis as well. He speaks about uh, both in science and in economics. He says there's this this sense that we are omnipotent as as human beings, that we are omnipotent. We're at the the top of the food chain, as it were, in in this world, and so we can use the world around us as we want. Uh, in science, he talks about AI and these sort of things that we're seeing more and more of now that people think there's just this limit, limitless um, limitless use of technology without uh, without thinking about the ethics behind it. So he, he's, he speaks about science in this regard, but he also speaks about economics. He says, the mentality of maximum gain at minimal cost disguised in terms of reasonableness, progress, and illusory promises makes impossible any sincere concern for our common home and any real preoccupation with about assisting the poor and the needy discarded by our society. So, again, he, he doesn't go into great detail in this shorter document, but, but he points out how a wrong approach to environmentalism gets the cause of the, the environmental crisis wrong, and therefore they're going to they're be wrong about the solutions that they're putting forward. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting having very recently read Laudato Si in anticipation of this document. And then reading this document, I was struck by how different it is in tone. And it, it's his concern with this document is climate change and the failure of every climate change conference. And that is the thrust of the document. There's some of the sort of the trappings of Laudato Si. He brings in some of those nice themes that you, as you just mentioned, Father. But really, I mean, what kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit is that 
the sort the framing of uh you know the exhortations in Laudato Si of joy and joy-centered creation are gone. And, you know, there's a whole section, section seven of Laudato Si, which talks about a variety of opinions and that people are going to have all these scientific experts are going to have different opinions about the specifics and these little measurements and and this and that. But, you know, we need to move past that towards an integral ecology, which transcends these, you know, the scientific minutiae. And but then in this in Laudati Deum, we see a lot of minutiae, a lot of scientific, uh, you know, facts that are sort of thrown out as, you know, truth you cannot dispute. This is the facts. And there are people out there who deride the facts and they're wrong, which it just struck me struck me as the wrong tone, especially compared to what I thought was so beautifully done in Laudato C that, you know, if you truly take these things to heart as a faithful Catholic how could you disagree with that? And it, it seemed more like, you know, the more specific he got, the weaker the argument was. And, um, you know, which made me ask, like, why was why was this document necessary? And I know he would say, well, I, you know, things have been ignored. A lot has happened. And that may be true, but it didn't seem to add anything to. And in fact, I thought it, would, it detracted a little bit from the legacy allowed out to see. Um, but as we discussed, it's not like people were reading loud out to see to begin with. Some we did need this uh, uh, apostolic exhortation. So that's just my yeah, two cents. I want to add to that a bit, just based on my own experience of having worked on stuff with loud auto see for the last year. Because when I first read loud auto see uh, last summer, 2022, you know, one thing I was really struck by is I said, all right, if this is all true, we can't just have our current approach to environmentalism. There has to be something uniquely Catholic that we ought to be doing. And so I went out and looked and I said, encyclical has been out for seven years. I'm sure there's lots of people writing on this now and nobody was writing on it. There was a little flurry of some stuff that came out when it first came out saying maybe we need a specifically Catholic approach, but there was really nothing. So with the St. Basil Institute, we decided we're going to organize an online conference on this. And we ended up with five talks on theology and one talk on practical application because that's all we could find. And so we had one person talking about his work running a sustainable farm and applying the, uh, his studies in philosophy and theology to his work in sustainable farming. And that was very interesting. And it was actually a uniquely Catholic way. But we had like one conference of a few hundred people sign up where we were able to find one person to talk about it a little bit. And so I think this is in some sense, there's a failure of us as the laity to have received and applied the message of Laudato Si, right? Imagine if Pope Francis wanted to come and write this eight years later, and now all of a sudden we have dozens or hundreds of uh, works done on a uniquely Catholic approach to the subject that Francis could have gone to and drawn from and said, all right, now we're having this upcoming conference. Here's the uniquely Catholic way I'm going to apply this. And he's seeing coming up, and I think it was 2028, that there's a big international conference about um, climate change that's coming up. And he's almost speaking here. You know, the tone shifted from joy to doom almost. Instead of being like, oh, let's rejoice in creation. He's like, the world's going to end if we don't do something. We better come together and do something, sort of a wake-up call. And so I read it in that light. It's a practical application in light of this upcoming conference. And I think that if we're unhappy with it, which I in many ways was unhappy with, this approach rather than the more theological approach. I think it's in part on us as a lady failing to come up with those uniquely Catholic approaches. And so something 
I want to put out here is if there's people who do know, who do work in fields where the practical application becomes relevant, to reach out to us because those of us who work in philosophy and theology, we can study that stuff, but we don't know how to apply it at all. Now, I've done a lot of work in this, but I still can't answer basic questions about how we ought to be applying the message then. What is our uniquely Catholic approach? And I think that's going to have to be interdisciplinary in order to accomplish. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You're both right about the, the tone of this document. It seems like the Holy Father is very exasperated. He's very um, upset with the fact that um, uh, his warnings eight years ago seem to have gone unheeded and um, in the church and outside the church, things are just speeding up uh, despite some gains that he talks about uh, being made at these international conferences. Overall, we're not seeing the, the kind of uh, change that needs to happen in that in that view, if you take these uh, these numbers to be the real thing that to to stop the the temperature from reaching a certain um, a certain point. But I think that that um, this document had a kind of theological frame. There's a little bit about the Lord in the beginning, and there's a a little bit more about uh, God and creation at the end. But the main part of this this new document was just about the data. And about the failures and some successes of these um, of these international climate congresses, and I I think that's the weakest thing about the document is the data, because I don't know who is going to convince uh, the people who I think most of us have heard these numbers before, and either um, we we have already been really moved by them or we kind of think that maybe there's more to it than the numbers would uh, would have us believe. So I don't think he's going to win over anybody by by speaking of these numbers. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know exactly who the audience of, of the document was meant to be. If, if you agree with him already, then you don't need to hear this. If you don't agree with him, then these, these numbers are not going to be convincing, I don't think. I wonder if there's in part an issue that um, more conservative Catholics, and here I mean it in the sense of actually believing in the church's teachings and our failure to properly receive Laudato Sibs. I could imagine as the Pope, you know, you want to convince a group of people to this is an important issue. And you think you can reach out to conservative and traditional Catholics by uh, talking about the theology and philosophy behind it, and then they still don't receive it. And so now you think, all right, maybe this is sort of a dead end. But I actually found the opposite is true in that most Catholics simply hadn't read Laudato Si. And you know, um, I usually go either to a Byzantine right parish or to an FSSP parish. In both those places, when I started talking to people about the theology in Laudato Si, they all of a sudden actually become very interested in it and start realizing that this is an important issue. And so I think that it's not the fact that people heard the theology and said, I disagree with the theology. It's that they never heard the message of the Pope on this. I think another thing that I don't know if there is an issue right now that has, you know, worse of a marketing problem than environmental issues. I think that the way everyone is sick of hearing about environmental issues because you are talked down to and people have a fundamental distrust when they see elites who, you know, are taking private jets to Davos talk down to them about their lifestyle. And this is not just an American thing. This is a human thing. 
And so, you know, people are rightly defensive. And I don't think, you know, how the Pope does address a little bit concerns about, let's say you have a town where your only employer is a factory or something that pollutes the environment. I think in Laudato there is a more of a measured approach here. And I think that sensitivity is really lacking in Laudato Dei. And again, it's a, it's a short document. I understand it's almost more of a document written by a head of state than the head of the church. Maybe the Pope as a head of state is writing this in his almost like a diplomatic capacity. Um, so, you know, I think that there is definitely a, mar- you know, quote unquote marketing problem with environmental issues that, you know, us as the laity, the church, the church maybe could have done a better job of, you know, making sure people understood about Laudato Si'. But yeah, I, I, as as Gideon said, like what the, the there's a, a void when it comes to what happens next. Well, what does that mean? Do you are you on board with, you know, various measures that we've done to try to curtail climate change, environmental pollution, whatever. Um, that's that is that's sort of an open question that there's still a variety of answers on. Um, but, you know, I do think the optimism part is very important because people feel a lot of despair towards the future of our planet. And, you know, um, just for example, one project that I thought was very optimistic and perhaps a little bit more in the spirit of the original Laudato Sea was the project of the Prince of Wales. It's called the Earthshot Prize. And this is a project that he developed in 2020 to um, shine a spotlight on these small startups all over the world that are doing very in- innovative things towards fixing our environment. Um, so, you know, clean water or repairing coral reefs, little tiny little efforts made by people all over the world. And he has a big gala at the end of the year and they shine a light on their um, their you know their work, whether it's to create these sort of innovative tiles to regrow coral or to create clean water in India. And, you know, just by his platform, using it to show the world that this is possible and hopefully scale these solutions. And in the Prince William talks about urgent optimism. And that's sort of, I feel like the the right tone is let's stress the urgency while being optimistic. Um, that kind of felt gels with the original led out, to, uh, led out to see, maybe not so much with this letter, but it's still a little bit you know, underlying all the citations to the climate conferences. So I don't know. We'll see. I want to pick up on the point that you made about the marketing issues. I think this is a big deal, right? Is I remember when this blood auto deum came out, you know, all the reaction I saw on Twitter for the next day from conservative Catholics is saying, oh, does this mean plastic straws are now forbidden for uh, Catholics to use? It doesn't talk anywhere about uh plastic straws. But I can understand, you know, when environmentalism becomes little annoying things like that, I don't do very much, but just serve to make your life an inconvenience, then it's easier to just say, well, then there can't be any problem here. This is not something real. But I think that what Laudato C offers is actually a really beautiful way not, I don't want to say to market um, environmentalism, but almost to market environmentalism to say, no, you're part of this great cosmic hierarchy that God made in the beginning that then has been harmed through sin. But Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross, has restored harmony to the universe. And so you, through uh, the development and holiness, can help to work to restore this creation. 
and then the Eucharist is ultimately taking up all the natural goods of this world, transforming them through our work and offering them up to God, where God then transforms them and offers himself back to us. So we actually have this really beautiful picture of the cosmos, both in terms of philosophy and theology that we can offer. I think this allows us to market both environmentalism to Catholics, but also Catholicism to environmentalists, right? I think this can actually be a great opportunity for environmentalism, where, you know, if you go to an environmentalist group and you start talking about, hey, all these modern philosophers are what caused us to have this harmful relationship with the environment and destroyed the environment and stuff, you could probably get them really on board and then start talking about how back in the past, here's a more traditional view of people had with their relationship with the environment and then ultimately show them how only in the Catholic faith with our complete picture of reality in terms of both philosophy, especially our metaphysics and theology, is able to actually achieve the goals that these environmentalists want. And so I think we should be using this as a chance for evangelism. Yeah, that was beautiful. Thanks, Gideon, especially connecting this to the Eucharist and the liturgy. That's a very, very profound thing that uh, Pope Francis certainly has spoken of, Pope Benedict wrote about it um, even in, in in sort of Tehardian terms I and mean, most of us may not uh, may not think too much about the theology of uh, Tehard de Chardin but he has this cosmic uh, context for the liturgy that the Benedict draws from Tehard and in a very beautiful way shows how all of the cosmos is recapitulated in the Eucharist uh, this this bread and wine which are, wheat and grapes that are natural things that man has taken and transformed uh, as, you know, we have been created in the image and likeness of a creator. So we create with the natural things that are around us. We transform uh, the wheat into bread. We transform the grapes into wine. And then God, by his power, transforms them into himself. So <laughs> he communicates himself to us through these, uh, these, natural, these natural things that we have have uh, made our own product, a uh, product of our own ingenuity, uh, which of course goes back to our Lord becoming incarnate, taking flesh, taking, uh, you know, becoming part of his own cosmos, which is so incredibly beautiful. So yeah, the Eucharist should have such a central role in, uh, in any kind of approach to uh, creation and environmentalism. I think what Francis does really get right as well in this new document and in Laudato Si and throughout his writings is to point out that we can't just try to sort of bandage this problem, that the problem, the problems we see in the environment around us and the world around us coming at least partially because of our abuse of the world around us, uh, we can't just hope to fix it without changing ourselves. He points out how it's really our lifestyle, it's our modern lifestyle that has caused this in many ways. So he says, you know, look at the fact that emissions, carbon emissions, have uh, have gone up exponentially since the Industrial Revolution. So it's only since this kind of modern life, modern way of living, um, that, that this abuse of the environment has really taken off. And add to that our own materialist way of living, our, the throwaway culture that Francis likes to talk about so much. Um, we can't hope to have a, 
the right approach to creation without changing our own lifestyle. Um, maybe we could speak a little bit about that. I, I often laugh to myself about the, the, the crazy things that environmentalists sometimes come up with, like these carbon credits. Uh, like Amanda mentioned, they're flying their private jets to Davos to talk about these things. Uh, but okay, they'll, they'll buy some carbon credits as if that makes up for, uh, for what they've done. No, you know, if you hadn't taken that private jet trip, uh, it probably would have had a bigger effect and put your money toward the carbon credits. Uh, so sometimes they, because they lose the big picture, they, they, they have these absurd bandages that they try to put over it because they don't recognize that they need to change themselves. Yeah, on that point, I think, you know, I, I remember seeing, I think it was in like New York or something like that, some school district was saying that his animals, especially cows, um, produce so much methane, you know, we could reduce it by reducing animal consumption. So we're not going to serve meat on Mondays anymore at the schools. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, there's a way, we have a Catholic policy that already right. solves this. <laughs> It, it yeah the secular the secular uh, holiday calendar needed some a day of penance though yeah exactly and so I think something at the end of Laudate Deum uh, Francis calls us to do is to look at our own living conditions and I think here we can look at the evangelical councils of poverty chastity and obedience and especially that um, the evangelical council of poverty of uh, willing to give up uh, material goods to focus more on God. And perhaps that we need to take to light much more Lumen Gentium's call of the universal call to holiness and analyze our own living situations and how we use too much, too many material goods and how we should consider uh, giving things up more. I think we have to look at both the spiritual implications of how it relates to God, but also the material implications Francis is reminding us of. And I do wish in Laudate Deum he had drawn that out a little bit more specifically because he talks a lot about a very material analysis of conditions there. And I wish he had drawn it back a little bit to how these same practices will also help us draw closer to God. I think the problem with a lot of the policies that and the laws that kind of come down and, and you know, uh, supposedly to rectify, you know, climate change are, you know, some of them are, are, are make sense. Like, for example, my state, we ban the plastic bags you know, everyone knows they're a nuisance. You see them blowing out in the fields. It's terrible to see. But the solution was to just ban not to use paper. It was just to ban all bags because the supermarket lobby said they didn't want to have to provide anybody with bags if they were going to be banned from plastic bags. So because of the supermarket lobby, there are no bags to be had. So everyone has to buy the ba these like cheaply made, like very thin like burlap things. I don't even know, probably some plastic, you know, modern man-made fabric things that are just everywhere now. And they buy them for 99 cents. If you order like, you know, an online grocery delivery service, they give it to you for free. So now everyone is, is like overwhelmed with these crappy, cheaply made like bags that rip after two uses. So it's like, how did that policy, you know, actually help besides just make everyone's life more difficult and more miserable. Um, and that's, I think, why people are so hesitant to listen to this message, because in their daily lives, they've just seen politicians and people in power mess it up so poor, like so badly. You know, another another example was um, putting uh, the wind energy turbines off the coast um, 
off the East Coast somewhere. I think it was, I, I can't remember exactly where it was, um, which, you know, everyone protested because the sight lines would be, you know, messed up from their beach homes, which, you know, okay, that's that's a little superficial concern. But what happened was the whales started dying <laughs> and the, the ecosystem was completely messed up because of this giant energy uh, you know, emitting thing in the middle of the ocean. So, uh, you know, a lot of these things, as Pope Francis says, are, are sort of band-aids or silly band-aids. And the only thing it does is erodes the trust of the public in solutions to do anything about the environment. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, a back to basis, the back to basics kind of theological approach is necessary. So we can at least kind of think about it from more macro level than a micro level because clearly these like piecemeal policies are not are just making people mad and not doing much for the environment i like what you said there about band-aids i think this connects closely to what pope francis has been discussing with the problem of technocracy where rather than repenting and actually solving the situation we just refuse to acknowledge that the initial pro Initially, we did something wrong, and so we just try to paper over it with even more problems, and things just get worse. And one of the examples he brings up in Laudato Si is with um, the story of Cain and Abel, and how after Cain kills Abel, um, God actually tells Cain that the ground will no longer yield forth to you in its strength. So Cain is now no longer going to be able to do agriculture. So what does Cain do? He goes and he builds a city and oppresses the local population which then causes an increase in violence in the earth, which ultimately culminates with the need for the flood. And we also see an Evangelium Vitae from Pope St. John Paul II, where he also starts off with this story of Cain and Abel, but he says this is the fundamental source of all pro-life issues, is not only is death entered the world, but man then intentionally causes death on top of the death that already naturally occurs as a result of sin. Yeah, and so I think we can see here in all these different ways that we have brought about a culture of death. It's no surprise then that that extends to the world. And rather than saying we have this consistent culture of death, this consistent opposition to God, and the solution here is to repent and find better ways of living in harmony with the natural law, we say maybe we can deviate even more from the natural law and we'll go so far that we go roundabout and we actually solve the solution. Every time we just actually create more problems. Yeah, isn't it true that at the heart of so many of our problems socially is is pride, of course, ultimately, but um, but the desire for my own comfort, my own um, my own way of life. You know, we see that this is contributing to people not having children or people feeling forced into an abortion that that it's going to get in the way of their way of life. Um, but the same thing with with these environmental issues that. That okay to to live the way you know I want to live keep up with the Joneses I need to have the latest car I need to have the latest phone I need to have the latest gadgets where do these come from um, so so yeah we have to get to the the spiritual heart of the problem or else we we can't possibly uh, hope to fix it yeah and there's a great um, sort of theme in Laudato Si of you know, if we're if we've grown up in a world that's drab, um, talks about architecture being just miserable, a, a world in which beauty isn't valued, then you can't expect people to value it in their daily life. Like, you, if you can't, if you aren't surrounded by beauty, if you don't understand its worth, 
then it's really hard to tell people that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, I don't know, again, with plastic bags, the plastic bags blowing all over the place and, you know, turtles getting strangled by, you know, pop can plastic things. It was a big deal in the 90s. You know, the all these sort of things, you know, if you are treat, you know, grown up to treat the world as just a place that you live in and that beauty is just something that's on the side, then how, you know, how else will people view the environment? Gideon, earlier you connected this to the evangelical councils of poverty, chastity, and obedience. I wonder if you could go into that a little bit more, especially poverty, because um, maybe, maybe especially lay people might not have thought about uh, how poverty, the evangelical council of poverty, influences them in their state of life. Yeah, th this is an area I've really just begun to research, so I can't say too much on it. But for what I generally understand of it, even though it isn't necessarily a sin to own a lot or to not follow these, we are called to them because by grace, we're called to more than simply what is in accord with our nature. So we're called to give up our attachments to this world and set ourselves entirely on God. And so, yeah, even if we, there's not necessarily some direct obligation, if you're not in a religious order to follow these, we haven't made specific vows to them. We still ought to follow them because it's what helps us get closer to God. And perhaps, Father Trevate, since you're a priest, you could elaborate a bit more on your own experience with that. Yeah, sure. The The church certainly says that these um, these three evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience, while those who are in religious life make vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, uh, I'm not even in religious life. I'm a diocesan priest, so I don't have these vows, but I do have promises that are that are in along those lines like for poverty I have a pro promise of simplicity of life uh, but the, the church has taught that even for lay people that everyone has to at least live the spirit of these councils that uh, chastity even married people have to live the virtue of virtue of chastity um, obedience in our own state in life we have various ways in which we need to to be obedient uh, but poverty as well that that uh, even if it's not an absolute poverty like like the Franciscans or something, that we're all called to live with a certain simplicity and detachment from from material things, as you mentioned. There's a beautiful, beautiful book um, that uh, Thomas Dubay wrote about the virtue of poverty called Happy Are You Poor? And he it's, it's a very challenging book, but he, he speaks about poverty in the, the various states of life, which... Um, which I think is important. And why why are these evangelical councils important? Our Lord commanded us these things because they get to the heart of our own woundedness, that poverty, chastity, and obedience help us to overcome our, our concupiscence, our concupiscence of the eyes of the flesh and the pride of life. So the, the three very basic ways in which we are inclined to sin are mostly in the categories of pride, uh, lust, or gluttony and and greed, and so poverty, chastity, and obedience directly counter and help to heal those those wounds in ourselves. Um, so that's a little bit of why it's so important that we try to live uh, with these in mind, especially poverty, according to our state in life, to help us to overcome the kind of 
greed, the kind of materialism that is uh, that leads us to to abuse the world around us. I want to get back to a point Amanda made a little bit ago about uh, beauty and seeing beauty around us in the world. Because I was just thinking about this and something I think of growing up in a, a family that did care about environmentalism. It was an environmentalism that was in many ways not at all beautiful, right? So it's you go and you put this bottle in the recycling bin. Well, you don't see in any point in that where you've made the world more beautiful or you've actually been involved in some process of beauty. And I mentioned earlier uh, this one family I do know who has actually worked to implement the theology of creation in their own uh, work where I visited a small farm over in Steubenville. It's run by a family named the Doherty's. You could, on the uh, New Polity podcast, they've done a number of episodes talking about implementing theology and philosophy in their farming. And they gave me a tour of their farm. And they were talking about the reason we do this or that on the farm is that's the way God made the cows to work this way, or he made this plant to work that way. And all of a sudden, you're seeing there's this really real beauty and harmony in nature, which has now been taken up. You can almost draw an analogy between how grace and nature works. There's this natural harmony just within the natural world, even when God is not directly involved. And then God comes and brings grace and elevates it to a whole new level of beauty that's beyond its nature, but not contrary to its nature. In their work of farming, they're taking this already beautiful order of nature and raising it up beyond what it could only do by its nature and bringing it new capabilities that are still in harmony with its nature and still uh, creating different forms of beauty. And so I think in our own work of environmentalism, we have to think about how it can connect to beauty. It can't just be an abstract set of numbers, but has to actually be our appreciation of the natural world. And interestingly, even though Laudate Deum maybe focuses more on the numbers, it does open up with this very interesting um, paragraph of Jesus talking about how God cares for everything in creation and seeing the beauty in creation. Yeah, for the most part, Laudate Deum doesn't rise to the, the poetry, really, of Laudato Si, but there are a couple little moments when, when Pope Francis says things uh, in this newer document, like um, he says in paragraph 65, the world sings of an infinite love. How could we fail to care for it? And love, of course, infinite love, love with a capital L is is God, but the world creation itself is um, is charged with this glory of God and the heavens proclaim the glory of God. So uh, how can we not care for it? How can, can we not respond to the beauty of, uh, of the world around us rather than trying to mold it uh, in our own fashion, which, which only ends up often destroying it? It reminds me immediately of Metaphysics Book 12, where now through the whole of the physics and the metaphysics and really the whole corpus of his works, Aristotle has tried to explore and understand the world in front of him as best he can according to reason. And at the very end, sort of the culminating point of all of his works, is he sees that the whole universe is ordered as this great harmony. And so it must point, everything works for a certain end. And so there must be some final end of the universe. And so we can see the whole universe must be functioning out of love of God. And that's sort of the furthest he can get by reason. And from there, it's going to take divine revelation to open up who is this God? How is he working within the world? But just by reason, he can get to this final end of pointing to love of God.
Yeah, that's great. And goes to um, underline again the point that that our approach to to knowledge and to study of all things, from science to philosophy to theology, ought to be within this uh, this grander view of of the cosmos that that modern man has certainly lost. Well, any any final uh, points or? I guess I would want to end with a call for everyone to actually read Laudato Si, because I think there is this really beautiful document there. And if you're interested in issues of social teaching and integralism, but you're perhaps picked up on much of the American skepticism of environmentalism, I think this shows a truly Catholic approach to environmentalism. And I would not recommend people start with Laudate Deum. And I think it's probably best to understand Laudate Deum not as Laudato Si Part 2, but a particular application of Laudato Si, that Pope Francis has given us a social encyclical that contains the most important points on the theology of creation and how it applies to the social teaching on ecology. And now, for the first time, he's sending out a direct application of that to a particular time. And so, you know, this uh, new exhortation will be important for the next few years as this new environmental conference comes up. But after that, it will probably fade away. But I think Laudato Si, for many centuries, will remain an important point of social teaching that's returned to, just like a work like Rerum Novarum or Mortali Dei is. Yeah, I would definitely second that. Um, again, being you know inherently skeptical, just, again, hearing so many people who allegedly espouse environmentalism just kind of Given you silly NGO hack stuff and not actually getting to the root of the problem. Laudato Si is so refreshing. And um, just pretend Laudato Dam doesn't exist. And, you know, I think it does kind of muddy the waters if, you know, you're already coming at it feeling a little, you know, skeptical towards the whole thing. So, but there's enough in here that is really incredible and appeals to, you know, the true Catholic heart, I think. Well, that's great. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Joe, our producer. Thanks to Gideon Lazar for joining us for this conversation on creation today. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our patrons at Patreon, our benefactors, and to Jonathan Colbraith for our music. If you enjoyed this episode of the Josias Podcast and you would like to hear more, please head over to patreon.com slash Josias to help make that possible. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Check out our law blog, Use at Usitium, and find us, most importantly, at thejosias.com. 